Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you by Strava Craft Coffee. Remember to use the promo code DNVR25 because when you do, well, you get 25% off your entire purchase of that CBD-infused, deliciously rich, and potentially life-altering Strava Craft Coffee. I'm your host, Drew Creaseman. I'm the managing editor of DNVR Rockies, and on this episode... Uh, I hesitate to say this is going to be a special episode of the podcast. It's certainly going to be a unique one for anyone who's been regularly listening. Uh, you, you knew that part of this was coming. I had teased that I was going to talk a little bit about the evolving role of media and uh, and a few other things that are kind of around sports and baseball, but not specifically about you know, how the Colorado Rockies are doing right now or what's going on in the world of Major League Baseball. So just a fair warning up front. This is going to be more about uh, the evolving and growing world of how we interact with sports and social media and regular media and how we interact with professional athletes and what role we all have to play in that. And quite frankly... This is going to be quite a bit of self-reflection. I I basically wanted to share with all of you a lot of thoughts that I've been having lately, uh, a lot of things that I've been trying to clarify for myself and and the reason that I go about covering the Rockies the way that I do as opposed to the way others do or the way other people seem to want me to. And I, I think that, and I've avoided this in the past. Those of you who are regular listeners of the show have heard me mention before that I, for example, I did this with Goodman the other day, right? I say, I really get guys like Tim Lincecum and Zach Granke because I also have a a bit of social anxiety. And I usually leave it there and move on because one, I don't want to make it about me, which is (laughs) funny considering the number of people that I struggle with who think, I'm trying to make everything about me, but therein lies so much of the source of the anxiety and the fear and the kind of depression that can set in. So I hope that as I talk about this, this isn't about me. I hope people out there who have also felt this way will feel heard and seen. And and anyone who doesn't, will maybe better understand why, you know, Zach Granke, for example, would rather sit in the stands alone during his own games than hang out with his teammates or go sign autographs from fans or talk to the media. And I feel like I understand that on a personal level much, much more deeply than, for example, the people who are... I don't know if offended is the right word, but frustrated by the Naomi Osaka story and the rise of athletes starting to say, you know what, I'm not going to do this press conference. I'm not going to answer these questions. And and taking, as we talked about with Goodman, their own mental health as a higher priority than their job. And that's something that I struggle with as well, prioritizing that mental health 
element of it. So just to explain uh, in a little bit further detail for a lot of people out there. And look, anxiety doesn't have to come from a specific place, right? I've been in and out of therapy uh, a number of times in my life. It's something that I think everyone should honestly be regularly in. Um, it's unfortunate that I've only really done it when things have, you know, when there are things going on to be overwhelmed or stressed about that have nothing to do with baseball, by the way. But I had a mental health professional once because of some traumatic drama that I went through in my early 20s, um, basically describe my symptoms to me as less of a, a regular anxiety and more of, and I'm saying this to all of you, I'm sharing this with you today. This is uh, the step that I've decided to take as kind of a post-traumatic stress problem. And obviously I haven't, I'm not, I was never in a war zone, nothing, anything like that. Um, I'm not sure I've ever clarified 100% on this show before, but when I was 20 years old, the woman who I thought I was going to marry at that time, my high school girlfriend who I'd been with for a very long time, her parents shot and killed each other. And my entire life was uprooted. Obviously, her entire life uprooted far more. And the amount of kind of ugliness that I stepped back from the world and saw and, and started to experience because my perspective on things would often be very different. During that time, in the aftermath of all of that, and as I was searching in my 20s to figure out who I truly wanted to be and what I was really about and, and how I was going to interact with the world, I feel like I found myself. At the same time, what I found was a person that I knew wasn't going to be accepted by most of society, that my perspective doesn't match up with a lot of other people's. And rather than, and I experienced this every single day, it's why I still have social anxiety. It's why I, I struggle in big groups. It's why I don't like going out to places uh, it's why, honestly, despite the fact that I've always had an open policy about answering every question that I'm asked on Twitter, Twitter gives me a great deal of anxiety from time to time. And it's probably a good idea for me in the near future to go on a little Twitter blackout and just get away from it for myself because the process is very similar. And here's how we can tie it back into things we've been talking about. So I, I just wanted to share some of that. I hope it wasn't too much. I hope it wasn't uh, you know, uh, like I said, I've 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 been doing this show for like seven or eight years now. Uh, I feel like I've developed a pretty close relationship with a lot of you, um, and I wanted you to know like the origins of what I came out of in this time where I basically completely reestablished who I was as a person in the aftermath of this thing happening. And realizing, because I used to be very cynical, you know, I have this reputation now as a, as this optimist Pollyanna person who just sees everything in a, in a positive light. And, 
you know, and, I, and I'm always defending Dick Momford or Jeff Breidich or whoever. And it was just this realization during this time that cynicism and negativity and poisoning the water and assuming that I knew better than everybody else and painting these negative, what really turned out to be conspiracy theories that I was just inventing in my own head was killing me. And so therein lies the source of the frustration. That is an area where a lot of people exist. Uh, I'll give you a specific example of something that happened just a few days ago, I guess probably a week or so ago now, on Twitter. It's This is the process. I say or do something that's misinterpreted by somebody who doesn't think about the world. Forget baseball. This was baseball stuff, but just doesn't think about things in my perspective. And rather than try to understand things from my perspective or ask questions or, or see if they can learn a little bit, instead they assume a bunch of stuff. And I watched a person create a conspiracy theory in real time because I said that it is my belief that Nolan Arenado was immediately upset with the Colorado Rockies, didn't want to be here right after signing that contract. And... Yeah, some of that is based on information I can't share publicly. And so, yes, that creates a little bit of trust. And whenever there's that opportunity, people to believe you or not, they will take that opportunity to not. And it's one thing to not believe me on face value. But then this person goes through and creates a conspiracy whereby I must have the exact same source as this other person. It must be a front office source because it matches up with this other story that was told. And now the person thinks they've got it figured out that I'm listening to a bad, biased front office source and I'm doing terrible journalism and then I'm misleading my audience. And now all of a sudden we've got all these personal and professional critiques of me out of a thing this person just made up in their heads. This source does not exist. I don't single source anything. That's not how that works. But I watched a person create a conspiracy in real time. Just make stuff up. Oh, you must have a source that told you this and they told you that around the same time. It's also why your analysis on this other thing was this way. No, those two things don't have anything to do with each other. And actually my sourcing on the two different stories were completely different. But people will make stuff up. Patrick asked the question sometime a week or two ago about why I get so upset when people go off about Dick Monfort in ways that are inaccurate. And it's because I know how it feels to have people, one, not actually understand you, two, purposefully or, or otherwise, completely misinterpret what you were saying or trying to do, and make it the most negative thing they can possibly do. And three, and this is the worst part, act on it. Assume that their speculation and conspiracy theory making is 100% true. And then that justifies their actions of bullying a person. Even if they've got a lot of money, it's still bullying. Even if they've got more Twitter followers than you, you're still bullying me. Just because you don't want to listen to what I have to say. You want to assume I meant something else and then attack that. This is why I left politics. 
it is, as I called it and have said many times, smart people pretending to be stupid so that they can justify being angry. That's what it is. I think I told this story once on the podcast many, many years ago, but I'll repeat it. For those of you, again, who go back with me for a while, you know that before I got into this, I was working in politics. And obviously, we're not going to get into any of the specifics there because we're not trying to create a whole other thing to fight about, right? But I'll never forget the day I really left the arena. I'd been working with people whom I still have a great deal of love and respect. I I still support their work. Um, Some of them are are actually in Congress now. Um, And we were campaigning against someone who held office, right? Someone with with some policymaking power. And we disagreed with this person on 98% of what they did. And on one issue, and I honestly, folks, I could not tell you what the issue was today. So if you're wondering, honestly couldn't tell you. This was quite a while ago. There was a rally we were doing because this person had flipped their position on something very important, right? And it happened to be that they flipped their position to the one we agreed with, to our side. They signed the policy we wanted enacted. In other words, in, in from our perspective of, of those of us who were campaigning, the politician did the right thing. How and why? Probably by listening to experts, doing some research, maybe hearing some of the backlash, Maybe it was political cravenness. Maybe it was a calculation, but they did the right thing. But now we're out of fuel. We had this rally planned. We had signs made up and the person did the right thing. So we switched our tactic to calling the person a flip-flopper, a waffler. I'll never forget the sign they handed me with a giant waffle on it. March up and down the street calling this politician a waffler. And I stood there with that sign in my hands and thought, you guys, this is one of the very few things we agree on. He did the right thing. And we don't have to, I get we're campaigning and we're trying to win and so we don't have to come out and even admit that he did the right thing. How about we just focus on the 4,700 other things that he does wrong. But no, because if you give credit to the bad guy, you're ruining the fun of the rally, of the party, of your team. You're ruining the fun and you're not playing the game of get him. At all costs, get him. And the reason I feel a sort of constant barrage of anxiety right now about this team isn't that everyone's mad at Dick Monfort and I just can't possibly figure out why they're so mad at Dick Monfort. There's pl- Again, it's, that's like saying, I don't understand why we want to get rid of the politician. I'm, I'm here for it. This is my job. 
I've dedicated every day to trying to get rid of this person. I have said on this podcast, Dick Monfort can't afford the team. I've said on this podcast that he needs to sell the team. I've said on this podcast and in writing, and let me tell you this, I know he hears it and he reads it. And I say it and I write it anyway, that the biggest issue with this team is him stepping away from baseball operations. I said that when Dan O'Dowd was the GM, I said it when Jeff Breidich was the DM, DM, the dungeon master for those of you out there. I said all of those things. And yet still, people want to be irate with me, unfollow me on Twitter, unsubscribe to DNVR because I won't take the goddamn waffle sign and march up and down the streets like an idiot saying things like, he never spends any money on the team, which is just demonstrably false. That takes one tiny little bit of Google research to figure out that that's not true. Or turning McGregor Square into something to be pissed about. When it's a massive boon for the community. Makes the team better in every way, but am I on Team Monfort or not? Am I against him or am I with him? Take this waffle sign and bash the other guy, even if you know, and everyone here knows it's a bullshit reason. And maybe there are some rank and file members who really didn't know. Really go, oh yeah, the guy's a flip-flopper, that's a totally reasonable Critique, and there are some rank-and-file Rockies fans who think, yeah, Monfort is cheap, and McGregor Square takes up from baseball operations, which it doesn't. And again, that's being fed by people who know better, who are pretending, they're smart people pretending to be stupid so they can justify being angry. It's a baseball game. He's not a cartoon villain. It's not an impenetrable evil at the gate. It's tough to win in professional sports, as the Avalanche and Nuggets have found out this week as well. You can do a lot of things right. You can do everything right. And still lose. And the point of media, as our good friend Drew Goodman pointed out a couple of days, good friend Drew Goodman, say that five times fast is to be a conduit to the fans, not to impact the thing, not to try to drive GMs you don't like out of town or ballplayers you don't like out of town. It's not to go on after the Avs have just lost this crushing series and try to get an emotional response out of Nathan McKinnon by dropping F-bombs and... And, and that honestly is, is one of the biggest sources of my true frustration with this entire thing, with my reputation as the Homer Monfort shill, as the person who's on this side where the other people are on that side. I'm on your team. I'm just not carrying the waffle sign around. I want what you want. I want the public policy to be better. But I'm not going to pretend that any 
plausible negative thing you can say about the Rockies must be true. What happened to that 48-hour Eric Kratz story? This is why, and this is the perfect transition for me to move into the media thing, but <laughs> there's an irony here because if I don't sell stuff, I won't get to keep my job for very long. And and, and sure, it, it is kind of funny. I actually joke a lot about how my, my father would be very amused by <laughs> the phenomenal corporate capitalist chill that I've become where I can just recite some of these uh, ad reads by memory anymore. I love our sponsors because they're local and I actually just happen to like the products. It is weird to try to do this thing where, you, you know, we're having a very real conversation and then you go, oh, hey, <laughs> by the way, make sure that you're eating your Hassle Cattle Company and drinking your Breck Brew and your Strava Craft coffee. Though, that's part of the anxiety too, folks, is that, you know, I, I live in a world now where I, I would love to be able to totally ignore when someone calls me a Monfort shill or a Bright-Edge shill or a Homer or this, that, or, or whatever. But, you know, I've, I've got numbers to care about. You know, we, uh, we, we talk about it and, and I don't mind it. And, but, you know, when we talk about, hey, subscribe to the YouTube channel, click on the icon, let us, you know, know when we're going live. Those live views, people watching the videos or not, that impacts everything we can or can't do here in the future. You know, the amount of resources I have to spend on, on Rockies, how many people we can hire moving forward, how many graphics we can have, how many t-shirts that we can have. We've got to get subscriptions. We've got to sell sponsorships. We've got to get views on YouTube. And when we don't, or when part of the impediment to that is that I won't go along with the mob, then I do get very frustrated and, and sad and, and kind of difficult, which is ironic too, right? Sad Drew, the Pollyanna optimist. Does help going to Solace Meds though, we'll say. Getting a little promo code DNVR20, getting 20% off down at Solace Meds, not even joking. They've got some of the best herb in the world. They've got four fantastic locations. They're offering all kinds of promos throughout the month. And and really, they're always throwing you special deals depending on the time of week, the day you go in there. Make sure you check the calendar. Uh, make sure you do get online at Solace Meds. That's S-O-L-A-C-E meds.com. Check out all the deals and use promo code DNBR20. And <clears throat> get Manscaped. Definitely be manscaped. Also helps feeling better. Uh, it, it, lawn, the lawnmower 4.0 is out for your ultra smooth package. That's right. Perfect for you. And the dad of your life coming up on Father's Day. Get 20% off plus free shipping with code DNVR at manscaped.com. Really is well past time, fellas. If you haven't gotten in on it, you just, we won't tell anyone. We, we won't tell anyone. But now is definitely the time to do it. Make sure that you're manscaped and that you're getting that promo code. 20% off plus free shipping using DNVR. Uh, since I don't want to do another <laughs> ad break, uh, I'll just go ahead and, of course, remind you about our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook. DraftKings Sportsbook is the absolute best sportsbook app in the world. They make betting on sports easy, understandable, fun, um, lucrative. Uh, they're constantly throwing you free promos and, and, and credits and stuff like that. So even if you don't have a great record of betting on sports, which I know I don't, 
you can still make a decent amount of money. You can still have a whole lot of fun betting baseball, football, basketball, hockey. Yeah, I know the Nuggets and Avs are out of it, but I know a lot of you still out there watching them sports baseball every day. Over-unders on strikeouts and home runs and wins and losses and total runs in the game. All that good stuff. And you can still make some pretty quality money over on the basketball side. When you download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code DNBR when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game. And if they do, you will claim $100 in free credits. It's promo code DNVR for limited time only. DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. So as I was about to say before I got into that, you know, transitioning, and I'm sure uh, I'm going to be scattered a little bit in this one, so I apologize for that. You know, there's connections between the anxiety stuff and the media stuff. But as I was about to say to Goodman, and I, and I really didn't want to put him on the spot, and I, I didn't think the, the point was to, like, debate right there. I actually thought we, we wrapped that up all, all very nicely. The, the one thing I was kind of trying to say when I brought up Lincecum and Granky that I'm not sure I made clear is that it's difficult to put the onus on the athlete to say, I don't want to do this right now. And we've seen the way that the media has treated guys like Zach Granke or Tim Lincecum, like they're too good for it. Or or they, they treat, and again, I get this because people do the same thing to me. I say, you know what? I don't, I, I can't do this right now. Or what I said that set the other guy off and had people coming after me a couple of weeks ago was, I really can't debate this on Twitter. I spent an hour long on this on a podcast, you know, several weeks ago. This is where I, I, I put most of my time and effort into these shows. So if you really want to know what my opinion is, rather than assuming it and a dis- then disagreeing with something I don't think, you can go and listen to the podcast so you know what I do think. And of course, a bunch of people took that as me saying, everyone should listen to my show. God, aren't I important? Shouldn't you Everyone know what my opinion is. Bunch of plebes don't even listen to the DNBR Rockies podcast. Like, I, no, man, I was just saying, don't trash the movie if you haven't seen it. Simple as that. Don't tell me that I haven't made an argument. And I spent an hour making that argument just in a format that's not particularly for you. But this is the entitlement age that we live in where somebody like Eric Kratz, a journeyman catcher who happened to be on the Brewers when they played the Rockies in the NLDS a few years ago, goes on some random podcast. And in one of the weirdest paragraphs I've ever read in my life, I guess kind of accused the Rockies of cheating. He didn't, I mean, he, he wasn't even clear enough in what he said. You really had to read like, it, it was clear that he was trying to insinuate that the Rockies have cheated. But if you read what he actually said, he didn't even say that. Um, it, it was a truly bizarre sentence. Um, but, it, you know, and the only facts in it, the only, uh, and, and I put facts in giant air quotes, the only things that portended to be facts that he added, like details, right, were that the Rockies had stolen signs and relayed that by using a Theragun, like a massage gun, you know, that you, you press on the thing and it, and it bounces against your back, that they were using that on 
the metal benches in the dugout. Those are the only details that Kratz gave. The only problem with that is that the Rockies did not own any Theraguns until the next season, and they did not have metal benches in their dugouts. Other than that, though, <laughs> but did that stop a 48-hour news cycle of people who should honestly know better, of people who look down on blogs and podcasts and those kinds of things and are very big into capital J journalism and objectiveness when it comes to critiquing the Colorado Rockies, not so much when it comes to pointing out all the false narratives about the Colorado Rockies. We don't care so much about the capital J journalism and the objectivism when it comes to that. But to be seen as objective, you have to critique the hell, not even just critique, you have to criticize the hell out of the team that you're covering. So for 48 hours, we had a news cycle where people were trying to figure out Zapruder filming the 2018 NLDS to see if this totally random and bizarre and out of left field comment from some random journeyman catcher had any validity to it. This is the reason why athletes don't like talking to the media. Because the proper response to that is to say, oh, okay, can anybody corroborate this? Has anybody else ever said anything along these lines? Is Eric Kratz just taking a personal shot back? Because one of the Rockies pitching coaches, I believe it was Steve Foster, said right after the 2018 season that he suspected that the Brewers may have been doing some sign-stealing stuff. No specifics with Theraguns and metal benches or any of that stuff. Was it just a shot back? Was Eric Kratz just trying to do the everyone is guilty, therefore nobody is thing? Which is really how it read to me. Everyone cheats, so don't come after me or us or them or the... Or the it's okay, because everyone does it. That actually doesn't make it okay. And look, if the Rockies were caught cheating, I'd be the first and angriest person about it. But they have to act, but there's there no there there. There, there, was not, there was no thing. But still, for 48 to 72 hours, my Twitter was full of nothing but jokes and memes and slamming them and essentially, again, the waffle sign of, man, the Rockies can't even win when they cheat. Man, the Rockies cheat and they suck. And it's just like, how much of that narrative do I have to unpack? The fact that they were actually really good in 2018, the fact that they probably didn't cheat, the fact that calling people cheaters when you've got no information that they actually did isn't actually letting people off the hook when we have a mountain of information that they definitely cheated. <laughs> like, this isn't... It's not a quid pro quo. It, cheating isn't pie, <laughs> right? <laughs> Excuse me. And so those are the kinds of things why, you know, to, to get back to the more serious point, I've, I've seen other people on local media say, you know, Ian Desmond had a really contentious relationship with the media. Not with everybody. Not with me. Because I, going back to our Bryce Harper conversation, I believe today is the like five-year anniversary or say, I don't know, I'm getting old. It's an anniversary of that. Don't ask clown questions 
won't be a problem. But people in the media and fans have gotten far too used to clown questions being the norm, being expected. People get mad at me because I won't go in there and, quote, hold their feet to the fire. It's not the Geneva Conventions. I'm not covering a war zone. It's a baseball team. And the question, why don't you fire yourself, might get a big cheer from the crowd, from the people who want you to carry the waffle sign, who just want you to get them, who just want to get the other side. Reality be damned. Public policy be damned. They just want you to get them. And for that, okay. Reminds me of one of my favorite old sayings. I think I started a, I actually believe that I began my speech running for senior class president in high school with the following quote. So forgive me for having been a pompous ass for most of my life. But an ancient Chinese proverb says, it is better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. And I feel like I'm stuck in an endless groundhog where people want me to curse the darkness endlessly with them and get mad every time I try to light the candle. Every time I try to say, well, what is the solution to the problem? And people go, sell the team. And I go, well, you can't force Dick Montfort to sell the team. I've already suggested that he probably should. I think what you can probably get is for him to step away from baseball operations. So let's do this. And now everyone's pissed at me because I'm not marching with the waffle sign that says sell the team. It is, like I said, this constant Groundhog Day. And it's not just baseball. It's not just the Rockies. This is the world I feel like that we live in where people would rather curse the darkness endlessly and forever and demand the other people around them curse the darkness and, and, and do nothing to light the candle. Not only do nothing to light the candle, get mad when someone does because that may take for just a moment admitting that the other side, that the thing that you're mad at, whatever you've turned into the 2D caricature cartoon villain, the owner of the team, the people in the other political party, whoever it is, once you've made them the villain so that anything you say can be justified, like I said, you can pretend not to know better when he says, I expect us to be competitive this year. You can pretend not to know better. It's basic politics. When the other side says something you disagree with, you dunk on them and take them to task. When they say something you agree with, call them a liar. That's politics 101. That's why I got out of that business. I was listening to a podcast recently from a, a political person who I have a great deal of respect for, a journalist, a reporter. And he was saying, you know, I was very curious because I could see how toxic political Twitter can be. And just people can scream at each other about these things. And you sort of get it because that stuff ultimately matters quite a, a great deal, right? And he said, so I thought I'd get a little break from it. 
and see what sports Twitter was like and just hang out on sports Twitter. And he goes, it was so much worse. It was so much angrier and more toxic. And it's about whether or not you win a ball game at the end of the day or the other team does. And everyone's out there trying. <laughs> Almost everyone. And it, it's truly, truly bizarre. It, and, and like I've said, navigating that has left me feeling like I'm in the position where I have two choices. I can lie and make everyone feel better. I can join the mob. I can turn off that part of my brain that goes, well, now wait, we know he didn't mean that. Well, now wait, they're not cheap. They've spent money, just not well. Well, now wait, the Coors Field hangover effect is a real thing. Well, now wait, right? Like that's, you can put that on my damn tombstone. Well, now wait a minute, right? That's been my job for six years seven years. Well, now, hang on a minute. I'm with you that they got to get this and they got to get that. They got to spend wiser. They got to have an analytics department. All the things that are actually important policy, right? But I won't grab the torch and the pitchfork and be angry about things that, quite frankly... Not only is there nothing to be angry about with McGregor Square, it should be celebrated far and wide. It should be the example. It should be on the actual news, not even sports section. And it is actually in Denver, but it should be on national news. This is the exception to the rule. Most professional sports arenas are a drain on their community. Most professional sports teams are a drain, at least financially, on their community and the surrounding areas. The only people that it's usually good for are the fans of the team. This is the exception to the rule. The Colorado Rockies are exemplary when it comes to community involvement and community engagement. And that people have now, <laughs> that there are now people who are mad at me for pointing that out yeah, but I feel like Monfort is doing X, Y, and Z. So that, so therefore, I'm not going to give him any any credit for this. I was like, okay. This has been a strange conversation today, and I apologize for anyone who just wanted wants to hear baseball stats and analysis of ball players and all of that, but. I think there's a true reckoning coming with the way we engage. And I, and I think athletes are starting to recognize, and I think more and more fans are starting to recognize that this relationship where the media's job is just to get a response, to get clicks. You know, somebody accused me the other day, again, in that conversation where I was saying, if you want to know my opinion, go to my podcast, of like, trying to squeeze money out of people, forgetting that the podcast is totally free to listen to. <laughs> it's 100% free. You know, and yeah, there are people in this industry to make business or to, to, to make money. 
but I've got far less of a need to get clicks and downloads and all of that than, you know, your standard newspaper anywhere. I've said this before and I'll say it again. What were the three biggest local stories about the Colorado Rockies in 2018, their second best regular season ever? A year in which they would actually topple the Chicago Cubs in the wildcard game. What were the three biggest stories from that year? Nolan Arenado was never going to sign the extension that he ended up signing, even though we know that didn't exactly turn out great anyway. But still, it was a couple of years away from being an actual story. But in the middle of that season, one offhand remark from Arenado blows up, and that's the story of the year. Number two, John Gray's mental health. That brings us back around to the front of the conversation. What business do you have calling out somebody else's mental, anybody else's mental health when it comes to their ability to do their job? You think just because he gets paid money and and is semi-famous and has a job that a lot of us would love to have, that that makes that okay? Turn that around on me. I don't have money, but I'm semi-famous. I've got whatever. Some people know who I am and I have a job that lots of people would love to have. Does that make it okay? To say, hey man, you know, you haven't done as many articles lately. And I haven't actually, if anyone's been paying attention to that. You know, trying to move, trying to do all these other things. More emphasis on the live shows and the podcasts. Team not playing well. Haven't been quite as motivated to sit down and put some things in writing. Hey, man, is that because you're mentally weak? Well, I don't know, but if that had been a headline in the Denver Post, I'd probably consider it and have a really rough time recovering from it. You know, when wildlife journalists and photographers see an endangered species dying, they don't intervene. When journalists and photographers who go to war-torn countries see people in really terrible conditions, they don't intervene. They're not supposed to. But sports journalists, for whatever reason, feel comfortable doing it all the time. And if you don't think writing a front-page sports story in the paper of record about whether or not somebody's mentally weak because they're having a difficult time navigating one of the most difficult challenges in all of professional sports. The ultimate point I'm trying to make here is that this doesn't have to be a part of what we do. And in the future, I think athletes are going to recognize they don't have to participate in those exposés. They don't have to listen to that. And they do have it in their power that if somebody writes something like that, it's not petty to cut them out and no longer talk to that person and no longer have a relationship. And you know what they'll do? They'll turn around and go, oh, so-and-so has a contentious relationship with the media. Oh, so-and-so. It's like the power of the, the pen, right? The old adage, never argue with somebody who buys ink by the barrel. I see a lot of my colleagues 
though of course I've never felt like a member of the club. But still, a lot of my colleagues in media really upset about this Naomi Osaka thing. Really on edge about whether or not athletes should just be allowed to say no. I'm not going to go on record right now. And while I wouldn't say it's true to a person, I would say you could see a pretty clear Venn diagram that's almost a circle of people who were worried about that kind of access and people who ask clown ass questions, bro. The people who go into a press conference not trying to learn more about why the team did what it did or why the player did what it did or what's going on behind the scenes, but just wants to get a rise out of you. More views, more clicks, and more whatever. And I'll admit, it's tempting. I can't even claim to have gone totally outside of it. We did a show... This year, right after that story in The Athletic came out, we were down at the bar. We were in studio. It might have been one of the first shows that we did. I think, I think Patrick was still not joining us quite yet. He hadn't been fully vaccinated. And, but Mikhail and I were in studio. And I really went off about the whole analytics and laundry thing. That was the report, right? That athletic story. And I think think for the first time since I've been doing this, I really regretted that entire show. I, I wish I could delete that one. I wish I could go back and take that one down because those weren't my anonymous sources. I have no corroborating information to back it up. And once again, it's become a concrete meme. Like the brain surgery. Or like Drew thinks he's so important, everyone should have to listen to his podcast. Not what I said. Not even close to what I said. The same thing, the brain surgery comments were not Jeff Breidich saying, I'm smarter than everybody else. Not what he said. Does that matter? And how do you know about that, by the way? How do you know about the brain surgery comments? Did you read Drew Goodman's book? Or did you read about it in an 800-word newspaper article where one person who happened to take offense insisted that the rest of us should also take offense. Despite the fact that there was no context of the rest of the book, which I read, by the way. This is what happens. People don't know the full story. They fill in the blanks using their own creative license. Like I said, I watched a guy create a conspiracy theory about me in real time. They do it to the team. They do it to whomever. And you go, okay. And then they act on it. Once it's solidified as a meme, once everybody knows, and there's actually a great parallel for this. I'll, I'll finish on this point with another place of fandom of mine. Of course, everybody, I think everybody here knows I'm a gigantic nerd, and so it's no surprise whatsoever Love me some Star Wars. Star Wars is awesome. And 
it's a reminder that this happens in every community. And so this is why I wanted to talk about it today and, and explain basically, I'm not sure what there is to do about this. All that I can do is make the continuing promise of not participating in it, not doing the thing where it just becomes ironclad cultural commentary that the prequels are dumb for a certain generation. And then that generation grows up and a new generation comes along and it's their thing. New Star Wars movie. There are so many people who claim to be Star Wars fans who all day, every day, all they do is talk about the parts of Star Wars that they hate. And they'll invent stuff to hate. I'll see if I can explain this the best I can, but I'm in one other nerddom community with those Final Fantasy video games. Don't worry if I've lost you. It's not important. They're stories, science fiction fantasy stories, you know, with fictional characters. And one of the most popular ones ever features a little bit of a love triangle that's left mostly ambiguous and is not the major part of the story. This game came out in 1997. It's recently been remade and kind of brought back into the zeitgeist. And there are people who every day from 1997 to now have fought each other about who the main character should actually be in love with. I am not joking you. This is communities of people sending death threats and angry emails to each other and just screaming and fighting its Montagues and Capulets over fictional characters, fictional relationships. And a lot of it is fueled by nonsense on media and social media. And people spending all this time to craft these narratives of evidence. And when I see people coming up with this stuff about how Dick Monfort is just sitting in his office, laughing his way to the bank. He doesn't care at all about baseball. He doesn't care at all about Rockies fans. And it's just like, none of that is true. He's not been particularly good at it. And we all know that. When you take it that one step farther, so that it not only applies to him, now you've got to be mad at 